I was appreciative of the fact when I first met Jeff how uh, how God had done a work in his life to uh, to really be free because like me as a non-Christian I used to think um, there were normal people and then there were religious people and what I knew life was wasn't reflected in the life of the church because I thought you would come to Christ because you were sinful and you step into the church and you can never sin again. You'd have to hide it and pretend it. But but uh, you reminded me again that it's not just your battle. And I, I appreciate your heart, Jeff, because you represent the fact that every one of us are in a similar battle because we all live outside of Eden. And we're not in heaven. And that passage says, for all have sinned and keep on falling short. It's a progressive act that we still continue to need Jesus Christ today the very same way that we needed him the first moment we met him because we still are falling short. So we don't rely on our own resources because we are people who are, who are redeemed but there's a reality that we live between uh, Eden and heaven, and so we're on the way home, but we struggle. And that's why I think you would fit well in the book of Ephesians. <laughs> you fit well in, in the book of Chesterland, because we want to be here at Chesterland a healing community. We are a forgiven community. We are a forgiving community, but we are a learning community because we want to know how to fight this battle. And so with that, let me turn to uh, Ephesians 6. And what I will do is I want to read uh, <clears throat> the passage so that you know Ephesians 6, uh, 10. Uh, and we'll go down to uh, <clears throat> verse 20. So follow with me, Ephesians six ten, And I'm reading from the New American Standard because that's what I'm having. <laughs> Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness, in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And with all prayer and all petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all the perseverance and petition uh, for all the saints, and pray on my behalf 
that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. We're in wrapping up this book of Ephesians and what a ride it has been. But as we get into this this uh, section, there's a lot when you when you look at this passage that you could talk about spiritual battles, which we will get into, but the focus of this passage is not so much the battle as it is the preparation for the battle. And so the idea that we're going to be standing strong and standing firm, but we'll be standing engaged in a battle that isn't your doing and isn't my doing, we all have to deal with the reality that we live outside of the garden. And therefore, the book of Ephesians has prepared us for five chapters before this. And so let's go back, and again, I'm testing your memory. What's chapter one about? Chapter one is about the integration. These are the key themes that I think about when I think about the book of Ephesians. I'd like for you to think about them too, because God is doing heaven and earth. He's integrating the cosmos, and he's submitting it to the, the lordship of Jesus Christ is on the throne. And under his administration, all things will be brought back together, Ephesians 1.10. But he does that for sinful people, Jews and Gentiles, pagans and free men, educated and uneducated. By chapter 2, he says, if you are in Christ, you have left the deadness of your soul and you've been made alive in Christ through the resurrection. And in the baptism of Christ, you have been brought in, grafted in, incorporated into a whole new community called the kingdom of God. And that kingdom of God reflected on earth is the place where the Holy Spirit is going to come to empower, enlighten, and equip people and only in the church will you find that kind of grace, that kind of wisdom, that kind of light coming in the institution of the church. And so 110, 2.10, 3.10, those are pivotal verses. And that's what God is doing here. When you move into the chapter 4, is God is instructing us, and he sent pastors and teachers and prophets and evangelists, everyone to equip the saints to mature and grow up so that you understand who God is and who you, we are in Christ. And that's the whole passage in chapter 4 where we talked about if you're going to be walking in a manner worthy, you need some help. You need some, because like Jeff said, you, we bring a lot of the old ways into the church, and there's where a lot of the conflicts and misunderstanding happen. But Paul had that with Ephesians, and so he goes into chapter 5, and having worked through that, he says, you put off the old and you put on the new in order that you might imitate Christ. And imitating Christ, that's the focal point that most people never look at because they're stuck with the BBS syndrome. You know what that is, don't you? The BBS syndrome, I call it the belly button syndrome. You're looking at your own belly button trying to get things out of your belly button. It's a self absorbed, a self-centeredness that says, I'm going to use God, I'm going to use the world, I'm going to use people to get my life back together. And it's still self-centeredness that we deal with. 
And Paul says, lift up your eyes. You, you're following Christ. And so if you're going to be an imitator of Christ, chapter 5, you're going to walk in a manner that shows that you are beloved children. You are walking in love. You will walk in light. You will walk in wisdom. And you will walk in the fullness of the Spirit. Evidence last week by saying that if you are primarily, this is the, the kicker for me last week, the distinctive mark of the Christian, that if you are growing in Christ and filled with the Spirit, is that you, are, you have surrendered and you submit to this wonderful love of Christ and that you want to follow Christ. That's chapter 5. And now as you come to chapter 6, here we are finishing the book that uh, you move into this issue that there's involvement, that if you're going to follow Christ, you're going to get involved with the things of Christ, you're going to find Jesus Christ becoming more alive, more relevant, more powerful, more uh, intimate with your life than you ever may have thought before. And so chapter 6, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to give you half of the, half of the message and the message is this, be strong in the Lord. Can't say that any more clearly. The thing that you're going to walk away today is this, God wants you strong, period. Now we can go home. God wants you to be a strong man with tenderness, and he wants you to be a woman that has a tender strength that the idea that you're going to come with the Christ-likeness and reflect that to each other, God wants you strong. And the reason why, as we get into it, is because there is a battle. There is a battle. But today I'm going to look at the strength aspect because I want you to look at Jesus and I want you to look at who you're following in order to find that that which He is going to give you is going to make you strong. And I want that for you. I don't want you to be a wimpy Christian, a weak Christian, a Christian that's going to be tossed to and fro by every impulse and wind of doctrine. I want you to know that Jesus Christ wants to make you strong. And we'll look at that. And then we'll go halfway into this, this thing about the battle preparation. You'll become familiar with the armor that what God gives you to make you strong and then to access that power through prayer. But as you do that, you become the people of God called, equipped, and engaged in a battle that you think, wow, all that's happening? That's what's happening. It happened in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, and anybody who keeps in lockstep with Jesus, they become men and women you better... Uh, watch out for because they are powerful. So Paul says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's the NIV. The New American Standard says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Strong, might, power. You get this at the end of the book of Ephesians because as you look at this, you see, you see this word, uh, the verb to become strong is the same word for dynamite, endynamomai. It means to become explosive. It means that you become somebody that when you step on the stage, you are not to be neglected, disrespected. You are going to be someone who's taken seriously because you are strong. Not overbearing, but strong, firm. 
And that's what he says. Mighty power is a different word. It's kratos. But it means to get that power so that you become empowered. And Paul talked about that. Talked about in chapter 1. Talked about in chapter 3. That the Spirit of God is going to strengthen you on the inside. Not the outside working the circumstances which we want to change. He's going to strengthen you from the inside out. And if you read through the passage of Ephesians, you'll pick up all these Old Testament themes. So listen to me as I share these verses. And let them sink in. These are somewhat familiar verses. Isaiah 41.10 So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That's Old Testament. God is there to strengthen you. No matter what you have to do, God is there to say, you're not in it alone. You're not in it alone. Isaiah 40, 31. But those who hope in the Lord, those who wait on the Lord, will renew their what? Strength. Strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Every time in the Old Testament, whether it's Moses, Abraham, Joshua, Samson, David, Daniel, Isaiah, you see men who have been strengthened by God to do something that they wouldn't be able to do without Him. Same for us. The Lord is the strength of His people, a fortress of salvation for His anointed one. Psalm 28. Listen to this one. The Lord gives strength to His people. I love this. And the Lord blesses His people with peace. Peace is a sign of strength. It means there's something settled inside you, that shalom power that says, I know where I stand, and you will not shake me out of it. Daniel 32a, back from the Vacation Bible School. This is the verse that I like. It's Daniel 32a. It says, by smooth words, he will turn the, to godlessness those who act wickedly towards the covenant. Those who forget the word of God, they become ungodly. But, it says, the people who know their God, underline this, the people who know their God display strength. Not just that they have strength, but they move, they take action. There's something about what God does in the old and in the new and in our day that those who wait upon the Lord get something that those who don't wait on the Lord, they don't get. So I want to look at this for, with you for a minute. Because I want you to see how strong, how strong Jesus Christ is. You know the story in John 9. Jesus, on the Sabbath, goes to a blind man in John 9. Now follow the story. Jesus spits on the ground makes a little pace and puts it on the man. And he says, now go wash yourself. You know the story. It's on the Sabbath. 
For this man to walk where he was with Jesus, to walk over to the pool to wash us off, was a crime because it was considered work to wash, to heal, to get medical treatment on the Sabbath. To do that was against the law of the Jews. And therefore, he went and he did as Jesus said, not knowing who Jesus was, but the Pharisees knew that this blind man had now become healed, and everybody was telling, he, he, he broke the Sabbath, he broke, and he's healed. Something's happening here. And the Pharisees went after the blind man and said, who healed you? John 9. And they said, well, uh, I don't know. And Jesus found him. And so he knew that Jesus had healed him. John, that's John 9. That's the whole story of John 9. And they were so upset with Jesus breaking the law on the Sabbath that he went to them and said, um, the Pharisees went to Jesus and said, well, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? By what authority do you do these things? And there was a confrontation in John 9 about this blind man. And they were going to stone him in John 9. In John 10, if you read John 10, it's a continuation of that story. If you've never read it like this, go back and read John 10 because this not, it's not about the shepherd of the sheep. It's not so much about the, the things that God will do for those who follow him and have abundant life. And he, it's about the constant confrontation with the Pharisees. And he said to the Pharisees, you are not of my sheep. You don't hear my voice. You don't belong to me. You belong to this religious system. And you were just so upset that your system was disrupted. He says, but I'm here to say, you don't belong to me. But if you knew Abraham, you would know me because he knew me. And you don't know your father Abraham. You're blind. Blind men sees. The men who think they see are blind. And Jesus says, no, no. John 10. And there's a confrontation again. Who do you think you are? We pick up stones because you claim to be God himself. I and the Father are one. And they had stones to stone him. And he walked away. Now that's what I want to tell you as the preface to John 11. These all three go together. John 11 starts, Lazarus is sick. Mary and Martha, the sisters, know that Jesus is just down the road three kilometers. Three kilometers, less than three miles. Jesus is over there, and, and John 11 says, Lazarus is sick, and Mary sent word to Jesus, You're, Lazarus is sick, he's dying. Now, if you're Jesus, what do you do? Read this passage, John 11, 1 through 10. It says something really crazy about Jesus. You read this, he knows Lazarus is sick. Where's his thinking? He says to the disciples, Lazarus is asleep. Well, he'll wake up, Master. He'll wake up in a couple of days. Don't worry about it. He says, no, he's, he's dead. And then Jesus says, let's go back. Let's go back to John 10. Let's go back to those Pharisees. Let's go back to the people who are criticizing me. Let's go back into that conflict. Let's go back into that war. And the disciple says, you're nuts. You're nuts. They just tried to stone you, Jesus. And your friend's over here. And what are you doing? You, you want to do what? That's the story of the Lord saying, Lazarus is covered. These Pharisees are not. 
And then he makes this sentence. There are 12 hours in a day. And while it is light, we've got to do the work of God. But if you walk and you stumble in the night, these guys are stumbling. These guys don't know me. These guys are accusing me. These guys are dead. Lazarus is dead, but he'll be resurrected. These guys are dead and they will not be resurrected. Let's go focus on the lost because these guys, but they're going to stone you. Yeah. But Jesus is so moved by getting into the conflict of the battle of darkness of people who are dead that he moves right back in. And he says, for two days, he stayed there talking with these Pharisees in fighting, contentious, arguing. Why? Because people who know their God display strength. And Jesus went after the lost because he knows they won't go after him. And therefore, here's the power of the Son of Man going after everyone who will stiff-arm him and resist him, Jesus does not stop moving towards those who have stopped moving towards him. The Lord is strong. Gosh, is he strong. And so he said to that blind man, you're healed. It's not just the power that he was working in the blind man. It was a power also working in the Sadducees and the Pharisees. It was a power also working in the disciples, teaching. He's training everybody, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, the people who are watching. Jesus knows the whole world is going to see the Father and Christ are one. And he came with the mission. For good work we don't stone you, but for blasphemy. And you make yourself out to be God. Jesus was stoned because of his identity. You will be attacked because of your identity. And therefore, Christ says, don't worry. Don't worry. But Jesus was preparing each person then as he is preparing each person now. And he says to us all, here is how you handle warfare. Here is how you handle opposition. You move towards it. You don't run away from it. Wow. How strong is our God? And Jesus did that on the Via Dolorosa when he picked up that cross and he went through the streets and people were mocking him. What he endured for the joy set before him. He would not stop. And he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And here another battle. You know the story. He struggled. He struggled. He fought. But he was engaged in dark battle. And said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. And he came to that point, even on the cross, when they pierced and they cut him, he would not quit. Our God is strong. Make no mistake about it. He knows how to handle death. He knows how to handle evil. He knows how to handle any darkness that you have. And he did. And then he rose again from the grave. Do you remember when Jesus would walk on the demons and the demons would tremble? What do we have to do with you? They were afraid of him. 
And when he went into hell, he's here. Let me tell you, when Jesus is present, all the power of heaven and earth are right behind you. So wake up. Wake up, Christian. Wake up. Don't you realize the evil has blinded you? And so he says in Ephesians 5, Awake, sleeper, and the light of Christ, the light of Christ will it'll come on you strong. And it does. And therefore, David would say, Where does my help come from? I lift up my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from God, the maker of heaven and earth. And that's why Paul says, be strong. Not just be strong, but be strong in the strength of his might. It's a derived power. It's a dependent power. You don't have that strength. I don't have that strength. But if you're not in connection with Jesus Christ, you won't have that strength. And evil will destroy you. Therefore, he says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Do not rely on your own insight. Do not rely on your own conjectures, your own presumption. Don't rely on your own understanding. God knows better than we do. And therefore, he says, to those who rely on their own self, thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind. It makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. And we do. Our country has. John, Paul, they all pick it up. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So I ask myself, self, <laughs> what makes Jesus Christ so strong? Look at this. What makes Jesus Christ so strong that he created this whole empire of the kingdom of God from no names, weak people, handicapped, blind, everybody turns because they have been defeated. Notice this. It's his relationship with God the Father. His relationship with, is the source of his strength. And as God looked to Jesus and Jesus looked to God, there was an intimate connection that no one could break. Jesus relied on the Holy Spirit, going in the wilderness, temp, uh, going in the wilderness, going in the temple, going anywhere. He was not alone. He was accompanied by the Holy Spirit. Jesus loved righteousness. He would not give in to any temptation because he knew it was wrong. His ability, his ability to move into sin and horror and and grievous damage to people. He did so with grace because he knows that if you are damaged, you don't have what it takes. But he does. And therefore he brings grace, an abundance of grace, an abundance of kindness to forgive. He forgives. Ready to forgive. Quick to forgive. We're not. We are slow. you got to show me. You've got to prove it, not Jesus. He's ready to forgive. His preoccupation to bless and serve others. I am here for you. I'm going to give myself to you. He's a servant. His ability to overcome death, you see on the cross and in the grave. But just a couple more. His, in, his courage to engage. 
and yet not control. God knows exactly how to lead you, how to bring you, how to love you, how to train you, so that you will walk with Him. But His goodness, His goodness and His kindness draws us to away from the wrong desires and into His vision and His wisdom of who we are in Christ. Right before the crucifixion, at the table, when Judas betrayed him, he said, the ruler of this world cometh, but he has nothing inside me. There was nothing that could hook Jesus, nothing that would distract Jesus, nothing at all, because there was nothing in Christ that Satan had access to that would pull him away. He is strong because he's solid and firm. You won't trick Jesus. You won't fool Jesus. You won't manipulate Jesus. He is everything solid, holy, godly, incarnate human form. He's man. He's the son of man. He's the son of God. And therefore... Jesus said, let's go back to those Pharisees. Let's go into that battle. And as we look at Jesus, some people are in systems, religious systems, church systems. I belong to this group. I belong to that group. The real question is, do you belong to Christ? And he says, it's one thing to be strong in his strength. It's another thing to be strong in your own culture, your own doctrine, your own denomination. But are you strong in the Lord? Dostoevsky said it this way. And every time I read these Russian theologians, the thing that I see always is darkness and suffering. And what you find is, Dostoevsky said this, if someone were to prove to me that Christ is outside the truth, and that in the reality the truth were outside of Christ, then I would prefer to remain with Christ rather than the truth. Dostoevsky loved Christ. It's loving Christ, not church, not Christianity, not culture. It's Christ. If you're strong in Christ, you're strong in love of Christ, then you will follow Christ. Follow me, he said, and I'll make you fishers of men. Let me summarize this this week. There are four areas that God wants to strengthen you. Four areas that you, you can count on God dealing with in your life. And the one is emotions. If you have dark emotions, if you are depressed, if you are angry, if you find yourself empty or lonely, the emotional emptiness and woodenness of your heart, God says, that's not for you. Unhealthy emotions. Complaining. The spirit of just bitterness. God wants to change that to make you healthy and strong emotionally. Two, the choices we make, the foolishness, the stupidity we make because we're following our own impulses, we're following our own desires. God wants to change the way we think and make choices. And so the path, the direction we move, if we're not following Christ, we're following something that's going to hurt us. And those choices are based on the light and the wisdom and the love and the grace that comes by being in relationship with Christ. Third, You think like Christ, and Christ will change this foolishness. He will change the reference point. It will take you off of this culture battle that you're dealing with, 
and he'll lift you up to see people are not the problem. People are not the problem. People are not the problem. Did you hear that? People are not the problem. People that you struggle with, Jesus said, Paul said, they're not the problem. We wrestle with powers of evil in this world that come from not the people you deal with, but the sin that's controlling them. There is an evil that's destroying people. And Christ will give you the wisdom to go into that foolish thinking, to unlock it. Christ wants to strengthen your brain so that you think like he thinks. Last, his attempt to strengthen your heart's passion, your heart's desires. God wants you to be strong in your love, strong in your passion, strong in your desires. But those desires are God-given to reflect God's glory. And we leave out God and we try to fulfill our own desires. God says it won't work. But if you follow Christ, you will say with Paul, I can do all things through Christ. I can handle my depression. I can handle my anxiety. I can handle my poor choices. And I can, I can reconfigure re how I'm going to live my life. But I'm going to change because Christ will strengthen my thinking. Christ will strengthen my heart. And therefore, that's what Thomas and the disciples understood. Thomas got it. Paul got it. And so Thomas said to Jesus, you want to go back over to those Pharisees? Let's go. You want to go in the darkness? Let's go. I will go with you, Jesus, wherever you go, and I will die with you. I will go. And that's what Thomas said. He was committed to Christ. And therefore, that's what Paul says in Ephesians. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Stand firm. But stand in the battles that you will not be walking away, but you're going to be moving forward. The powers, of God, the powers of darkness want us to mess us up, want us to give up, get discouraged, get puffed up, to, to split up, to shut up. God wants you to put on, put on the armor and stand up. That's how he ends Ephesians. This section, next section, how do you access that power of God? How do you walk in the Spirit so that you walk in victory, not defeat? So that you don't run away from enemies, but you stand and you look at your enemy face to face. I'm telling you, people who know their God display strength and they move. They take action. That's what Paul was saying to the Ephesians. That's what God is saying to us. That we move in love, we move in grace, we move in strength, but we don't move because we are loving, strong. We move because Christ is in us and he moves us. With that, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, you want us involved, but the thing that more than anything, you want us strong. And in our weakness, your strength is displayed. Father, we don't know you that well. We don't love you that strongly. We, we just find ourselves wrestling with that battle. We've, we don't even see you. We just continue the battles that we don't need to fight. Oh God, would you, would you touch our eyes like that blind man? Would you move to us when we fight you? When you, when you overcome our stubbornness. May we surrender 
and be submissive to you in the fullness of the Spirit. Now, Father, move us, take these words, and I pray this day that you would strengthen us on the inside so that we may follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.